0: The end of the previous episode, you heard. That was how things stayed for a long time. I know, it's not exactly this American life, was it? I was left to my own devices, wandering around and trying to connect dots to what seemed to be a series of unconnected mysteries. And the man at the center of it, the one who would or should have the most answers, the actual subject of the entire story, he was gone vanished from the public eye with no attempt to make himself visible in the least. Ryan Jennings, for all intents and purposes, was out there somewhere, completely content in the world believing him to be a murderer. Not even so much as a message that people didn't understand or that he was innocent. It was just over his last words to Detective St. Clair ringing bitter in the ears of the listeners who had followed along with him on his search. It felt a little bit like a slap in the face, at least in the entitled world we find ourselves in for those expecting answers and resolution and closure. But Ryan Jennings didn't care about any of that. Per his final words, he was done. So what else was I supposed to do? I went back to work. I gave the information, as I'd come to know it, to the police, sharing the connection between Joe and Hank, thinking that maybe it would help in some way. They never got back to me. With both men dead, I'm not sure how anything else could have come of it, or if they would have any interest in keeping me in the loop. Sure, I could probably push to get a feature written, spin a web of conspiracies, but frankly, what was the point? The frustration I felt at that point was nothing more than an added stress on my life. So for the sake of myself and the privacy of the victims of these heinous acts, I put the story on the shelf for a long time and didn't pay much attention to it. Beyond that nagging doubt and annoyance in the back of my head when something might pop up on Twitter about people being mad at the ending of the podcast, as Ryan left it. None of that was my call. Much like any of you, I was as much a witness to what happened as an active participant. I had no stake in this. I'm simply a reporter who was trying to follow an entirely separate story in the first place. It was my job. But it became more than that for a brief moment. Then I found myself as a reporter with a bit of a chip on his shoulder... Enough so to make the effort to find the answers to the questions left behind. But still, life isn't simply that cut and dry. It's complicated. Even those involved don't know the full truth. And can't. Roger was dead. Joe was dead. Hank was dead. Ryan and Sarah were missing. Even if I could contact one of them the chances that they could speak to any of it with 100% authority is minimal at best. So I forgot about it. At least until a confluence of events happened. First, and perhaps most importantly, I received an email at work one day. Someone by the name of wanted to speak with me. She claimed to have information as to the whereabouts of Ryan Jennings and that she was in the area for only a day. A quick reply to the email revealed she wasn't interested in sharing any details electronically and would only speak in person. Understand that when you are a reporter, you get used to hearing your fair share of stories from people. Everyone wants to believe that they have inside information. They want to be the person in the know. It may be someone reporting into a police tip line with some fabrication, or a drunkard claiming they have proof of alien life. I did my best to politely brush her off. I had other deadlines to focus on, and I had no reason to be actively pursuing leads. The story was dead, and there was little to no interest. Even if it were someone from Creighton who knew some added detail, the end result wouldn't have been any greater than what I'd already learnt still she was insistent and finally said something that piqued my interest and it took only five simple words I have the flash drive
1: I wasn't sure what I was even looking for but for the first time since all this started I felt like I actually had a direction to go to that was good enough for me As you drive down the side streets towards what remains of Taconite Harbor, there's a turnoff on the right-hand side. It's not directly connected to the road, so there's some loose gravel before pavement that doesn't quite match. I assume it's a remnant of Taconite Harbor, the town. The streetlight's easy to see; it stands out from the trees just a few feet from the concrete. I had no idea what I was supposed to see, so I braced myself for anything. I couldn't help thinking that maybe I, know, I was going to find a door in the ground. Some kind of cellar hatch that would, I don't know, maybe have some confused Irishman staring up at me. But I looked at and around that street light for ten minutes and nothing. I paced back and forth between it and the car, and nothing. I even walked further back into the woods, and all I got was a couple of ticks trying to hitch right ride on my shirt for the trouble. There are no words for the level of disappointment I felt at that moment. But I knew the stories of the place. I remember seeing the pictures. There was a basketball hoop somewhere, too. Maybe that was what Tom meant. Maybe he just said streetlight because he thought that made more sense for me to realize what he was talking about. Then again, why not say taconite? Or harbor? Or anything else that would have been infinitely more enlightening? Even just a word as to what the fuck I was supposed to be looking for. I spent an hour searching all around that fucking overgrowth driving down to what amounted to a tourist stop at the bottom of the hill leading to Lake Superior. It wasn't until I turned back and was going to drive back to the streetlight, certain I'd missed something, that I saw what I actually had missed. The other streetlight. If you didn't know what you were looking for, it was easy enough to miss. A couple hundred feet off the road, back in the tall growth of bushes and trees, is a second streetlight. And seeing that, my heart began to pound so hard I could feel the veins pulsate in my neck. I pulled off the road and walked a beeline toward the streetlight. Next to it was a large rock. Underneath, I could immediately see the black shine of a garbage bag. That video I posted, just in case you missed it. Inside the bag were several other bags. Inside of those was a small line box, kind of like a jewelry case. And inside it all was a small red flash drive. I had no idea how long it had been out there or if it had anything on it at all. All I could go on was that it had either been left by Tom or it was something he'd been looking for. I assumed the latter. I just had to hope that if there was anything on it, it had survived the winter. There's probably some profound saying about fools and luck out there by Mark Twain or something. If not, maybe one will get named after me. I wouldn't mind that. On the flash drive there were some word docs, some PDFs and JPEGs and a single video file. I played the file first.
0: I waited in the park near my offices where I said I would be eating my lunch for nearly 30 minutes and was about to leave when I saw a woman pass by for the third or fourth time. Each time she seemed to stare at me but not stop. This final time, she walked up to me. I had just enough time to switch on my phone's voice recorder. Lisa? Yes? I was just about to... What? Your voice, it sounds familiar.
2: Here's a flash drive. Ryan wanted you to have it. Sarah? Oh, I have to go.
0: Wait, you can't leave.
2: No, I can't stay.
0: Please, just ten minutes.
2: Ten minutes. I'm guessing you're recording this now anyway, aren't you? People already know I'm alive, which is good, I guess. People can stop thinking Ryan killed me.
0: What happened in the tunnel?
2: (sighs) Ryan shot Joe.
0: Yes, I know that. Julie told me. But what were you doing there?
2: I wanted to see Ryan. Ryan.
0: How did you know he and Julie would be there?
2: I didn't know Julie would be there. I was supposed to meet Ryan and Ashbury in one of the buildings, but Julie showed up. Then Joe.
0: Why were you in the tunnel?
2: Because Ryan shouldn't have to see those cages by himself. I was waiting for him there. He was there to take pictures of everything and hand over what was on the flash drive to the police. They'd already found the cages, so if they didn't believe him or do anything... He was going to release the information online.
0: I don't understand. What's on the flash drive?
2: I don't know. I didn't look. Why not? Because he asked me not to. And even if he didn't, I don't fucking want to know anything more than I already do. I asked Ryan what it was when he gave it to me, and he said the flash drive had too many answers. After he killed Joe, things got even more fucked up. He gave me the drive to keep safe, and he dragged Joe into the woods... He was pissed that I was there and that Julie saw me alive. He told me to wait until I felt safe, then to find you and give you the drive. He said to tell you he was sorry.
0: Why would he want people to think you were dead? How long has he known where you were?
2: He's always known where I was. When the Whispering Man, Joe, that piece of shit let us go, Brian hid us away. There's a little campground not that far north of Creighton that we stayed at. An elderly couple runs it. I uh, don't think they could even see our faces, let alone tell the police where we were hiding there.
0: I'm not exactly following. Can you just tell me what happened from Ashbury on?
2: I have to go.
0: Please.
2: What difference does it make?
0: It makes all the difference. Please, just tell me what happened and I swear I won't even try to stop you. I'll make no attempt to call or contact
2: you. Fine. I should have figured this wouldn't be easy. Nothing with Ryan ever was, right? After we got kidnapped, it happened like the podcast showed.
0: How long were you gone?
2: Do you want me to tell you what happened or are you going to keep interrupting? Because I can just leave.
0: I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Please, go on.
2: We were gone two days in that dark cellar, whatever it was. When we got out, we woke up in the woods near Ashbury. Ryan took us to the cabins to get away and hide out. Then after a few weeks, he decided to go back to Ashbury. I don't know what happened to him there, but the next thing I heard, he was getting out of some insane asylum.
0: May I ask a question? Fine. Well, several. Why hide instead of going to the police? Why go back to Ashbury? What happened to him there?
2: (sighs) Jesus, I should have just mailed it to you. Why didn't you? I couldn't take the chance of it getting lost or damaged. Ryan was scared, so was I. We didn't know who the Whispering Man was and we were afraid to go anywhere that people might recognize us. After a few weeks, Ryan decided to go back to Ashbury to try and look for answers he could bring to the police, but he wouldn't let me go with him. What he found, and I didn't know this until a lot later, was all these canisters in the town. Whatever was in them that made us see people dying and imagining things in the tunnel must have gotten to him again. We didn't know we'd hallucinated it the whole time. But then Ryan got another dose and that's when they found him.
0: Why lie to the police?
2: To protect me. Ryan thought if he told people he was gone that whole time, made people think I was still missing that I would be safe.
0: So he was lying about everything that happened after Ashbury?
2: Call it whatever you want. He said what he had to say to keep me safe. And I hate him for it. We should have just left.
0: But what about Julie? Him leaving Creighton? Him coming back?
2: It was all to save me. We had a way of getting in touch. A way for him to signal that things were okay. I'm not going to tell you anymore. I have to go. And I'm never coming back.
0: But where have you been all this time?
2: Someplace. Now I'm going someplace else. The only thing I have going for me is this being a podcast.
0: Then why run at all?
2: Besides being an accessory to murder right now, you don't fucking get it. It was Hank and Joe, but what if it was more? The story about what happened all those years ago? I'm not taking that chance. Goodbye, don't follow me or try to stop me... You'll regret it. Just look at the flash drive.
0: Wait, what's on it?
2: I don't know, and I don't fucking care.
0: Do you know where Ryan is? He's gone. That was all I got from the single best lead I could have hoped for. A missing person come to light. It's a singular moment that people dream of, especially reporters. The chance to break a story, a major story, and I watched my chance walk away. I tell myself that it was in respecting her wishes, or fear that she was armed, but I'm not so sure. Regardless, I had the flash drive, and soon after, I had something even greater. Remember what I said about a confluence of events? It was later that same day that I got a chance message from a colleague of mine working in San Juan, Puerto Rico. The text of the email was simple. I think I found Ryan Jennings. It seems to me that my attention is best grabbed in as few words as possible. It was my first trip to Puerto Rico, and at my own expense. My editor's interest in the story had waned enough that he didn't deem the trip necessary. In his own words, there was nothing I was going to do there that couldn't have been accomplished by email, which was partially true, I suppose, but I had to go there. We sat at a small outdoor cafe and sipped coffee as my friend set a file folder on top of the table. He has no interest in being on this podcast for fear of his source being in jeopardy for leaking police files. So after making me confirm that I owed him enough favours that I would need two lifetimes to fulfil, he slid the file towards me. Considering the contents of the folder, I agreed with little hesitation. We said our goodbyes and I went to the beach. I sat and let the wind wash over me, cooling my skin as the sun drifted lazily toward the horizon. I sat near the water, waves inching closer to my feet, and read the file. My coffee replaced by a sweating bottle of beer nestled in the sand beside me. To the contents of the folder I added my own pictures. Pictures I had printed off the flash drive before I turned it over to the police. Pictures of victims. Remember that part Ryan mentioned about a few JPEGs? Well, those JPEGs numbered in the hundreds. I can only imagine what they looked like without any context. The bodies of children mutilated. The pictures of amber alert messages for victims I have since seen identified from Hank's cabin. Even a picture of Hank and Joe together at the cabin, arms around each other's shoulders, smiling as they pointed to a crudely spray-painted sign on a 2x4 that said the words, Northwood's Reclamation. A picture of the body of Roger lying in the woods, dead of a shotgun wound. Night-vision pictures of people tied up in the dark. Maybe Tom, maybe Alex. One looking unmistakably like Ryan. Where the pictures came from, I will never know. How they came into the possession of Tom's detective friend isn't for me to know or answer to. Perhaps it was a memento left at the cabin or Ashbury, found by a person no one even thought to be on the lookout for. Who knows? To me, they simply served as morbid bookends, closure to my suspicions that monsters are real, and that Ryan's fear of his past and his own father was justified. I wanted to ask him why he didn't just send them to the police, but I suspect trust has always been a hard thing for Ryan to come by, And given the level of mistrust people had for his story, I hesitate to even think of the evidence disappearing. I sat there on the beach and looked down at the sand on my feet and thought about Ryan. And I read the file my friend provided. It told me a story. At some point following the events, as depicted in the Season 3 finale, which is estimated to have actually taken place in July 2017, Ryan Jennings left Creighton, Minnesota. While it's not clear how he came about it, Ryan obtained fake passport documentation and managed to find his way to Puerto Rico. He took up a simple residence using the meagre savings he still had remaining and worked odd jobs tending bar, mopping floors even returning to work in kitchens as he had done previously when he first left Creighton. I wondered if it felt poetic to him in some way, but knowing Ryan as I think I do, I think at most he would have considered it ironic. As I turned to the last page of the file, I finished my beer and stared out at the water. I wondered why Ryan would have come here. It didn't seem to be the kind of place he would go to escape. But maybe it was so far from who he was that it only made sense. Or maybe it was just as far as he could go. As the sun set, I like to think that Ryan at least found happiness in such beauty one time. On the 13th of April 2018, one day after the two-year anniversary of Small Town Horror's original release local police received a call. The body, while not identified at the time, belonged to that of Ryan Jennings. Dental records have since confirmed this. While I won't share the details of the report, I will say that Ryan Jennings died of his own doing. He was 40 years old.
1: Things never end the way you, want them, to. The way you want, them to. want them to.
0: I still don't know who Ryan is speaking to when he said that line, and I no longer care to speculate, but I think Ryan knew how this would end long ago. Little information was uncovered regarding Ryan's time in Puerto Rico, and any locations that supposedly employed him did so in cash at his own request. At the time of his death, his blood alcohol level was over four times the legal American limit. No note was discovered at the scene. If there was anything Ryan Jennings still had to say, he took it with him. What is left to be answered from this podcast is either in the hands of the police or died with Ryan. My part in this is done. I hope that what I've been able to provide has satiated your questions because it's all I have. I have conjecture and assumptions. I have witness statements that largely can't be corroborated. All I know for sure is that this is the end of small-town horror. When it comes down to it, something terrible happened to Ryan. And, at least in his eyes, it never truly improved. For the better part of his life, Ryan struggled with depression, anxiety and alcoholism. He felt alone And when he wasn't alone, he seemed to push people away, even when he thought he was helping them. He took on a persona that he thought people wanted or needed to see. The horror that he felt was inside of him as much as anywhere else. I can only hope that he's now at peace. But I can tell you, for all the conflicting feelings I may have felt about Ryan, this world is not better without him. He will be missed and not just for the answers he may have taken with him. He is one less light attempting to shine against the darkness. In the end, it was the darkness that consumed him. If you or anyone you know suffers from depression or suicidal thoughts, please seek help. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. Additional helplines from around the world can be found at a link in the show notes. I truly wish it were Ryan's voice that you heard now. Even something so simple as, it's finally over. This has been Small Town Horror.